Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Christmas is the season of giving, but it can be difficult to know who on your list wants what. Save yourself the guesswork by giving the gift of choice. Whether you're buying for the foodie, fashionista, or homebird of the family, they'll love a Dunn Stores gift card. They can choose from everything we have in store and online, from fashion to homewares to groceries. It's the perfect choice to make this Christmas. Visit dunnstores.com for details. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Marcus Wesson believed that it was his job to create children for the Lord and taught his children that they were better off dead than separated from the family. When some of his daughter-slash-wives decided to leave and threatened to take their children with them, Marcus decided to fulfill his own deadly prophecy. This is Monsters. Marcus Wesson was born on August 22, 1946, in Kansas. He was the oldest of four children born to Benjamin and Carrie Wesson. Cheryl was two years younger, Dietrich was three years younger, and Michael was four years younger. Marcus claimed that his mother Carrie, who worked as a nurse, was a religious fanatic and she was a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is a Protestant Christian denomination that observes Saturday as the Sabbath. It also places greater emphasis on the second coming of Jesus Christ, having had multiple predictions in the past of the second coming that never came to fruition, obviously. Carrie conducted Bible study every day of the week and wrote multiple volumes of her own interpretations of the Bible, particularly the Book of Revelations from the New Testament and the Book of Daniel from the Old Testament. Benjamin Wesson was a United States Army veteran who served in World War II. He received a pension from being injured in the war and also took odd jobs. He was an alcoholic child abuser who left the family when Marcus was young. Some believe that Benjamin molested his children, including Marcus. His sister testified that their father was more inclined to hug and kiss them while he was drunk. She said that they learned to hide from him until he sobered up. 
A childhood friend of Marcus's testified that Benjamin had once propositioned him, saying, quote, If I let him suck my dick, he would give me a $50 bill. End quote. Benjamin would eventually begin having an affair with his 18 year old nephew, Larry Morgan, which led him to abandon the family for nearly a decade. Benjamin then returned and resumed his role in the family as if nothing had happened. By this time, the Wessons had moved from the Midwest, eventually settling in San Jose. As a child, Marcus enjoyed pretending to be a preacher. He enjoyed leading his flock and being the center of attention. He invited his congregation to turn away from evil. He had the choir, consisting of his sister, sing hymns to praise God. As a young man, he would start to combine the beliefs he learned growing up as a Seventh-day Adventist with his own strange beliefs of polygamy, incest, and vampirism. He believed that his family were vampires with souls. He also said that incest produced the seed of perfection of oneself in a book he would later write about his own life called In the Night of the Light for the Dark. He tried to get it published in 2002, but was ultimately turned down. Marcus was described as a quiet individual who cared deeply for other people and animals. His family would end up with a number of pets due to Marcus bringing home strays, wanting to take care of them. In the only interview Carrie did after the murders, she told the story of when Marcus took care of a dog he had found that was nearly dead. Carrie said that she actually tried to tell him that the dog was dead, but he was sure he could hear a faint heartbeat. After spending all night feeding the dog milk, sure enough, the little guy regained his strength and managed to live. He didn't do well enough in school to graduate, so he eventually dropped out and enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1966. He served as a medic in the 695th Medical Ambulance Company for two years during the Vietnam War. He drove an ambulance in Europe before he was honorably discharged in 1968. Not long after returning to the U.S., Marcus started dating a woman named Rosemary Maitorena. Rosemary was already married and had eight children of her own, but she was separated from her husband, so Marcus moved in with her and her children. In 1971, Rosemary gave birth to Marcus's first child, a son named Adair. Even though Marcus was in a relationship with Rosemary, he actually had his eye on her eight-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. He began telling her that God had chosen her to be his bride and that she belonged to him and was already his wife. Marcus asked Rosemary for her permission to marry Elizabeth, and she agreed. He soon held his first unofficial wedding ceremony at the home. When Elizabeth became pregnant at 15, she and Marcus married officially. Elizabeth gave birth to their first child four months later. During this time, Marcus took control of the family, enforcing strict rules about what they could say, how they could act, and what they could eat. Marcus used belts, tree branches, and television cables to beat and whip the children if they acted up. Like when one son asked his mother, Rosemary, to roll down a car window, or the time one of them took an extra scoop of peanut butter. You know, real serious acts of defiance like that. I was rolling my eyes right there. Eventually, a family member reported the abuse to police, and Marcus agreed to leave the house if one of the abused sons agreed not to report the abuse. He also made a deal with Rosemary that she could either keep the family van or their son, Adair. She obviously chose to keep their son, so Marcus, Elizabeth, and their son took the van and left. They lived temporarily at his parents' house before finding a place of their own in San Jose. The two would go on to have 11 children together, though one would die during childbirth and another would die of meningitis as an infant. Marcus also didn't hold a regular job. 
He started off working as a bank teller for Wells Fargo. People who went to school with him said that Marcus was the only kid that wore dress pants, a button-down shirt, and a tie to school every day. The job at the bank had him wearing a suit to work, and for a while he maintained a very conservative appearance, which he seemed to enjoy. It wasn't long before Marcus got tired of the conservative lifestyle, quit his job, and started growing dreadlocks. At this point, the family began living off of welfare until children reached legal working age, then Marcus would send them to work and take their income. Through the years, they lived in a trailer, a large army tent, and on a rundown boat in the Santa Cruz Harbor. In the 1980s, Marcus bought some land in the mountains near Santa Cruz. He built a makeshift house that had no electricity or water, but when he failed to make the mortgage payments, the land was taken away. After that, Marcus took possession of a derelict 26-foot boat that was moored in the Santa Cruz Harbor. People in the area reported seeing a group of women rowing Marcus to the shore on a dinghy like a group of slaves. Eventually, Marcus was arrested for welfare fraud for not listing the boat as an asset and spent a short amount of time in jail. After he got out of jail, Marcus worked out a deal to live on a quarter acre of secluded property on a rent-to-own basis. They used a large army tent to build a campsite. Again, they had no electricity or running water, but these were the lengths Marcus would go to in order to not work. To make matters even harder financially, in 1986, one of Elizabeth's sisters, Rosemary Solario, sent her seven children to live with the Wessons. The sister had a drug problem, and the children had been abused and molested while in her care. The kids were excited to get out of their mother's household, but little did they know they were being placed with another abuser. Now, the family had 16 children to provide for. When their welfare and food stamps weren't enough to provide for everyone, Marcus and the children would dumpster dive for food. Being the man of the house rewarded Marcus with the ability to do whatever he wanted. Children would eventually tell stories of Marcus eating fast food while the rest of them searched dumpsters for something to eat. He would eat cookies while having the rest of the house on a no-sugar diet consisting of beans and vegetables. It was another reason that Marcus gave for not working. According to him, the man of the house didn't have to work. Of course, nobody that's familiar with my channel is going to be surprised that all of the children were homeschooled, the word homeschooled having air quotes around it. Their schooling actually consisted of hours of Marcus preaching about his own beliefs. These beliefs consisted of polygamy. He would constantly read Bible passages to the girls that contained references to men owning multiple wives. He would tell them that God wanted him to be fruitful and multiply, and man needed more than one wife to do that. He believed in incest. He claimed that incest created offspring that had more of his own genes. He believed that he needed to recreate himself as much as possible. He believed that his family were like vampires, except they actually had souls, which is why they were able to walk around in sunlight. Marcus believed that Jesus was actually a vampire. He quoted Jesus' resurrection and immortality as evidence that he was one of these vampires with a soul. Marcus eventually began teaching that he himself was God. Marcus began grooming the girls early in their lives. At eight or nine years old, he would start by touching their chest and genital areas. Then he taught them oral sex, claiming that he was teaching them how to be a better woman and wife. As the girl reached her teens, Marcus would be regularly having intercourse with her, even though she was either his daughter or his niece. He would refer to these rapes as loving, and told the girls that this is how a father showed affection for his daughters. 
Marcus would then perform a marriage ceremony when the girls turned 13 or 14 years old. Elizabeth was the only wife that Marcus had through legal means, but he did self-ceremonies to marry Kiani and Sabrina, who were his daughters, and Sophina, Ruby, and Rosa, who were his nieces. People in the area around where they lived started to notice the strange behavior of the family. They said that the women always wore scarves over their heads, long-sleeved shirts, and ankle-length skirts, no matter what the weather was. Marcus would say that it was because women were supposed to be modest, but it's speculated that it was also to cover bruises and marks from his extreme form of abuse. Marcus eventually became concerned that other males in the house would become attracted to the girls as they matured. He instructed the boys to stay away from the girls and even made them live separately. When one of his sons, Alme, began showing interest in one of Elizabeth's nieces, Marcus wrote a 14-page directive called The House of Elizabeth. The document stated that he had set his sons free in order for them to stay away from the women in the house. If Alme failed to stop his pursuit of the young woman, Marcus would hold a family prayer in which he would ask God to remove the offending entity. Marcus then said, quote, Get a life. Find your own women as God has commanded. End quote. The boys in the house were encouraged to leave the house as soon as they were old enough. This is a common theme within a polygamist cult. Where women are brainwashed and threatened with dire consequences if they leave the group, men are basically waved off to do as they please as they reach adulthood. That's because more men means more competition for the new young ladies that were growing within their ranks. In the case of the Wesson family, the fact that Marcus was fathering children with his daughters and nieces was kept a secret from the boys. Once the girls started showing signs of pregnancy, he would tell the boys that they had been artificially inseminated and were just surrogates. Marcus kept the children under control through fear and violence. He offered sermons that said nothing was more important than keeping the family together, not even life itself. He preached that police were the devil in disguise and suicide was an acceptable way to escape them. Some of the children testified that they had a suicide pact in order to keep the family together in the event authorities tried to separate them. Marcus's oldest daughter would go on to have two daughters, Ilabel and Jiva. Sabrina, the next oldest daughter, had one son, Marche. His oldest niece, Sophina, had one son, Jonathan. His second oldest niece, Ruby, had one daughter, Aviv, and another niece, Rosa, had a son, Ethan, and a daughter, Sedona. There was no document that proved that Marcus had an agreement to purchase the quarter acre on a rent-to-own basis, so when the property owner died and his son sold off the land, the Wesson clan was forced to move. Marcus liked the property in the mountains because it was very secluded. There was nobody around to notice the strange situation, including many young children, and the fact that many of the young women became pregnant at the same time. In an effort to maintain their anonymity, they moved into a 63-foot tugboat called the Sudan that was moored about 100 feet offshore an hour north of San Francisco. The boat was rotting and didn't have a bathroom. Though they had less seclusion, the proximity to a small town made it possible for some of the young women to get jobs and support the family. The first time Ruby had run away was before they had begun living aboard the Sudan. They had been staying in a duplex in Fresno while the women all worked at various McDonald's locations around the area. Ruby started getting trained as a manager and became friends with a co-worker named Emma. 
Her time away from Marcus, experiencing the real world, made her realize that she could have a life of her own. One night, she got off work early, before Marcus could pick her up, and she went to stay with Emma. When Marcus tracked her down, he convinced her to get into his van, just to talk to him. As soon as she did, he sped away, back to their duplex. He got her inside and into his bedroom, where he beat her about the head, ensuring that he didn't bruise her face. He then punished her for ten days with a small bat wrapped in duct tape. He found her a job at a different fast food restaurant, so she wouldn't be influenced by Emma again. Once they began living on the Sudan, Ruby ran away again. In a rare situation where she was alone on the tugboat, she rowed herself to shore and hitchhiked to a bus station. With no money, she relied on the generosity of others to help her get to Fresno. She tried to stay with Emma, but she had family in town and wasn't able to put her up. Emma was able to find a friend that could offer Ruby a place for the night, and after that, she went to her mother's house. Rosemary just encouraged her to return to Marcus. Even after Ruby told her mother the truth about their family, Rosemary just said, quote, Well, you made that choice, end quote. Finally, Ruby went and stayed with her brother, but Marcus eventually found her. This time, the two talked in a public place, and Marcus agreed to leave without her. He returned to the Sudan, and Ruby went to stay with her mother. Marcus arrived back at Rosemary's house a few days later with four children, one of them Ruby's daughter, Aviv. He left the children there for three weeks for Ruby to take care of them. When he returned, he told Ruby that she could either come back or abandon the children. He told her that she had had a baby for God, and that he wouldn't allow her to take Aviv if she left. Ruby couldn't bring herself to abandon her child and agreed to return to the family on the Sudan. As prices keep creeping up, your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit. Live One Plus has all the music you love, ad-free for only $3.99 per month. Dive into Live One's massive library of songs, listen to curated playlists, or create your own. Check out exclusive artist-hosted stations and do it all for the best price in streaming. Lock in a Live One Plus membership for just $3.99 per month now, and you'll not only beat inflation, you'll get all your favorite music ad-free. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Okay, so, presents. Check. Decorations. Uh, check. Christmas clothes. Yep, check. The turkey. You forgot the turkey. Dunn Stores has extended opening hours over the Christmas season, so you'll have plenty of time to get all those little jobs done. Opening times may vary. Check your Dunn Stores app or dunnstores.com for more info. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. It was there that the family nearly met its end in 1998. While Marcus was out looking for Ruby during her second runaway attempt, one of the older boys informed the remaining family members on the boat that he had just seen a suspicious-looking vehicle drive by. Sophina went up to the deck and looked out at the road where she saw a white truck with the word progressive written on the side. A few minutes later, the truck drove back the other way. It was driving slowly and must have been looking for something. In Sophina's mind, it must have been the government looking for them. Then she saw multiple white trucks with the word progressive written on the side, driving around looking for something. Without knowing that Progressive was the name of an insurance company, Sophina panicked and decided that she needed to carry out the family's suicide pact. Marcus had always taught them that it was better to be with the Lord than to let the family get separated. 
She knew that she was supposed to kill all of the children that were with them on the ship, but the family was also instructed by Marcus to seek out and kill any other family members who had left to live on their own. Marcus explained that he didn't want to chance them losing the Lord and he wanted to see them in heaven. Then he explained, after the whole family was dead, he would remain alive to explain what had happened. Get the fuck out of here. Marcus basically brainwashed his kids into believing that everyone in the family needed to die except for one person. And oh, by the way, he volunteered himself to be that person. He'd stay behind and explain to the world what had happened. Oh, thank you so much, Marcus, for falling on that sword for us. Poor Marcus has to be the only one who doesn't get to die. What a martyr. Sophina got the pistol and loaded it. She lined the children up, ready to put one bullet in every one of their heads before turning the gun on herself. Her hands shook as she contemplated what she was about to do. Suddenly, she realized that Marcus would come home and everyone would be dead and he wouldn't know why. So she instructed a couple of the older girls to go to the shore and contact him. Once they were able to reach him using the phone in the general store, he told them to put the gun away. It was not their time. Just two weeks later, Sophina, who had nearly killed her whole family and herself based on the teachings of her uncle, stood on the deck of the Sudan and told him that she wanted to leave. She had confessed that she had kissed a co-worker, and Marcus punished her by banning her from speaking with the other girls in the family. Deciding that she couldn't live with the people she wasn't allowed to talk to, she told Marcus that she wanted to live with her aunt in San Jose. Marcus agreed to take her to San Jose, and the two climbed into the family van. While they drove, Marcus continued berating her, telling her that she could never return to the Sudan or talk to her sisters again. Suddenly, he made a U-turn and drove back to the spot where they parked the van. After he parked the vehicle, he asked Sophina, quote, Do you love the Lord? End quote. Sophina said yes. He asked her, quote, Did you ask God for forgiveness for all of your sins? End quote. Sophina said yes again. Marcus grabbed a knife and plunged it into Sophina's chest, just above her right breast. The force knocked the wind out of her and she passed out. When she awoke, she was still in the van with Marcus, and he asked her, quote, Are you ready to go to the Lord? End quote. Sophina answered no. Marcus paused before starting to cry and saying he was sorry. He told Sophina that he thought she was ready and told her not to tell anyone what had happened. He helped her onto the tugboat and told Elizabeth what had happened. Elizabeth treated her wound, and even though Marcus said he was sorry for stabbing her, she was still banned from talking to the other girls. That punishment would still stand. Life on the tugboat was short-lived, though, as the sheriff's department deemed the tugboat not suitable for children, and the family was ordered to vacate. Marcus decided to take the chance of exposing his family by moving back to Fresno, where the women would be able to work full-time. The adult boys didn't move with them. Dorian and Adrian, the two oldest of Marcus's sons, stayed in Santa Cruz. Of course, the boys were encouraged to leave, but they were instructed by their father that they would have to send money to him during the first two years of their independence. That was apparently a family rule. In the 1990s, Marcus had also become a supporter of David Koresh. When the leader of the Branch Davidians, another cult that was formed from the Seventh-day Adventist religion, was attacked by the federal government, Marcus saw a striking parallel. He watched news of the events unfold and told his children, quote, This is how the world is attacking God's people. This man is just like me. He's making children for the Lord. That's what we should be doing, making children for the Lord, end quote. 
In Fresno, Marcus purchased a two-story Tudor house that had been gutted by a fire. He had managed to save enough money from the girls' jobs that he was able to put a third of the purchase price as a down payment, but the house easily needed a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of work. Marcus was adamant that he could do the work himself, and like any good cult leader, he made his followers do it. After his wives returned home from full-time work each day, they then began working to fix up the house. They began living in a tool shed in the backyard that hadn't been damaged in the fire. Despite the family working every day to get the house into livable condition, the city complained that the repairs were taking too long and they began falling behind on their mortgage payments. During this time, the women were all working as banquet servers at a hotel, which was causing Marcus to become more and more paranoid about them talking to other men. Despite his constant preaching and punishment in the form of a baseball bat, Ruby had met and fell in love with one of her co-workers. In 2001, Ruby ran away for the third and final time. After one of her shifts, she left work and stayed with her boyfriend's mother. She cut off all ties with everyone and even quit her job so that Marcus had absolutely no idea where to look for her. After a while, she called her Aunt Elizabeth and let her know that she was okay. When Marcus got on the phone, he demanded that she return home, but she refused. She told him that she no longer wanted to be with him and that she was not his wife. She told him she was going to marry someone else and hung up on him. She had left Marcus for good this time. Unfortunately, it also meant leaving her daughter. The same year, Sophina began a friendship with a co-worker named Milton. She had spent the past few years living in silence at her house since nobody was allowed to talk to her. This is a common tactic from cults to use to keep people from breaking the rules. You will essentially be banished by other members of the cult. It usually means the offending member has to leave and nobody is to have contact with them, but Marcus made it almost worse by making Sophina stay, but not able to talk to anyone. She saw her family every day, but wasn't allowed to talk to them. She was able to use Milton as someone to talk to, though she started off their friendship remaining fairly vague about what her problems at home were. Finally, Sophina realized that she could trust Milton and told him everything about her family. He agreed to keep her secret, and the two began seeing each other romantically. Eventually, Sophina told Marcus that she was leaving to go live with her mom. When Marcus said no, she responded, quote, I don't care. I'm not happy here. If Milton is willing to love me, I'm going to be with him, end quote. She hugged her aunt and walked out the door. She ran to her mother's house, and of course, just minutes later, Marcus had tracked her down and convinced her to return home. Marcus said that he would let her go, but she had to continue giving him her paychecks for two years, and she had to stay at his house during the day when she wasn't working, but she could sleep at her mom's house. Sophina agreed to the terms, but soon she discovered that she was pregnant with Milton's baby and had to break the news to Marcus. When he heard the news, he asked, quote, Can I have this baby? End quote. When Sophina said no, Marcus told her that it was time for her to leave because she was a bad influence on the other girls. Yeah, thinking for yourself tends to be a bad quality, according to cult leaders. The Wessons got into quite a bit of legal trouble regarding their project house. They were behind on their mortgage, and the original property owner, who had sold the house to them through a seller-financed agreement, was suing them. In July of 2003, they were able to sell the house for almost $50,000 more than they had purchased it for, and were able to pay off their outstanding debt with money left over. 
In October of the same year, Marcus used that money to purchase a property at 761 West Hammond Avenue in Fresno. The property was actually a commercial space that the Wessons turned into their new home. He also spent money on an old school bus and a limousine which he parked on the property. He used the bus to pick up 10 mahogany coffins from an antique store. He claimed he was going to use the wood on his houseboat, but the coffins were placed into their home and children would end up sleeping in them. In December, one of Marcus's nieces, Gypsy, ended up running away from the home. Gypsy had not had any children with her uncle. He had molested her when she was younger, and she said that she had always felt like it was wrong. The city of Fresno told the Wessons that they needed to vacate the property that they had purchased because it was not zoned for residential use. They gave them until March 12, 2004 to vacate the premises. They had already received notices that the school bus parked on the property violated city codes, but Marcus had done nothing to remedy the situation. This activity prompted Marcus to begin planning a move to Washington State to be near his parents who had moved there years before. His dad had recently been diagnosed with cancer, and this seemed like a good time to make the journey. Since the women did literally everything and Marcus rarely lifted a finger, they began working on the school bus to turn it into a camper that they could make the move in. When Ruby and Sophina heard that the Wessons were planning to leave the state, they decided to work together to get their children back. They called as many relatives from their mother's side of the family that they could who they knew didn't agree with Marcus and came up with a plan. They would ask for their children, but if Marcus refused, and it was likely that Marcus would refuse, the men would handle Marcus while the ladies ran in and grabbed the kids. It was the day that the Wessons were supposed to vacate the property on Hammond Avenue, March 12, 2004. Ruby and Sophina arrived at the home in the afternoon and demanded their children. Surprise, surprise, Marcus wouldn't agree to give them their children, but the women told him that they would not leave without them. The one thing that Ruby and Sophina had working for them was that Marcus was not listed as the father on their children's birth certificates, so legally, he was kidnapping them. They were smart enough to bring the kids' birth certificates with them and explained to Marcus that things would not go his way if police got involved. Sophina entered the house and attempted to take Jonathan, but other women in the house stopped her. Sabrina entered the house from working on the school bus and began physically fighting with Sophina. Ruby and the rest of the family members began pleading with Marcus to surrender the children, but he would budge. Meanwhile, other Wesson women had taken the children into a back bedroom. Sabrina yelled at Sophina to get the fuck out of their house. She turned to Ruby and said, quote, You're a whore and an adulterer. Bow down to your master, end quote, referring to Marcus. While this was going on, Ruby and Sophina's family members were frantically calling 911. It took 22 minutes for police to arrive on the scene from the time of the first call, and it was likely due to their calls not being taken seriously. After four calls to 911, a dispatcher can be heard on the dispatch line saying, quote, Every time we transfer the calls, they get more embellished. Now someone has a gun. I'm not sure. I'll let you tell, but I think it's embellished. End quote. When police finally did arrive, they were shown copies of the children's birth certificates and Ruby and Sophina's IDs. Police informed Marcus that, unless he had a court order giving him custody of the children, he needed to hand them over. He still refused. The police then threatened to call CPS and have them come and handle the situation, in which case they would just take all of the children from the home. 
while the police were waiting for permission to enter the home to retrieve the children, Marcus went back into the house, and though police say they didn't hear any gunshots, other people on the scene and neighbors said they did hear gunshots. The police removed everyone from the house and ordered Marcus to come out, but he stayed in the back bedroom, quiet, for approximately 80 minutes. When he finally opened the door, he was covered in blood and peacefully surrendered to the police. When police went into the back bedroom of the home, they found nine bodies in a heap on the floor. They had all been shot in the eye. They were all pronounced dead. The victims were 25-year-old Sabrina, 17-year-old Elizabeth, 8-year-old Illabel, 7-year-old Aviv, 7-year-old Jonathan, 4-year-old Ethan, 1-year-old Marche, 1-year-old Jiva, and 1-year-old Sedona. Marcus Wesson was charged with nine counts of murder and 14 counts of rape, oral copulation, and sexual abuse. He pleaded not guilty, and his lawyer claimed that he didn't commit any of the crimes he was charged with. The defense claimed that Sabrina committed the murders and then committed suicide as her DNA was found on the gun, and the gun was found underneath her arm, and her body was on top of the heap. First, her DNA on the gun only meant she handled it, and Marcus could have easily placed the gun under her. Gunshot residue tests of her hands came back negative, but they also came back negative on Marcus. It's also unlikely for someone to shoot themselves in the eye. Not impossible, but turning a gun all the way around to point at your eye is a very awkward position. You can turn the gun around and pull the trigger with your thumb, but it seems like the gun would be more likely to stay in your hand in that case. Also, it seemed like there would need to be some instruction that they deliberately get shot in the eye for some crazy reason, and nobody ever mentioned that. Other women from the family said that they got constant instructions from Marcus on how they were supposed to carry out their suicide pact, and they never mentioned needing to be shot in the eye. The prosecution argued that it was clear that Marcus killed his nine children, which makes sense. He was standing in the doorway, visible to everyone at the scene. Then he went inside, closed the door, and when he came back out, he was covered in blood and everyone else in the room was dead. Some people believe that Marcus was trying to eliminate the children that were the product of incest in order to destroy evidence that that had happened. And if that's the case, he clearly didn't know that they could still determine paternity after death. On June 17, 2005, Marcus Wesson was found guilty on all counts he was sentenced to death 10 days later. In 2019, the governor of California placed a moratorium on execution, effectively changing Marcus's death sentence to a life sentence. At 75 years old, though, he most likely won't be with us much longer. Immediately after Marcus's arrest, many of his children came to his defense. His son Serafino had only good things to say about his father to reporters after the crime. Through years of counseling and deprogramming, the children that Marcus had brainwashed into believing that incest was good and that they would rather die than be separated have all realized the gravity of what he put them through. Serafino is now married with three children of his own and has become a police officer. Gypsy has gone on to have a daughter, and Kiani, who lost two children in the murders, has gone on to have another daughter as well. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local battered women's shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online.
The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught looking for help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you might be facing. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can subscribe or follow the show to ensure you don't miss an episode, and you can leave us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by checking out our merchandise at Teespring. You can also discuss the channel and the episodes on our subreddit, r forward slash thisismonsters. You can find more ways to support our show and how to find us on social media by visiting thisismonsters.com. Thanks again, and be safe. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Did you hear that? Wine and champagne is 20% off. And that? Medium selection boxes like Skittles and Cadbury mix and match any three for €5. Euro. 20 and 24 can boxes of Coke, Diet Coke and Coke Zero are just €12. Euro. Have you got any 10 off 50s? And that's the sound of better value. Every week leading up to Christmas, there's new savings to be had. Done stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Vouching abused on ex-grocery shop of €50 euro or more. Voucher excludes alcohol. Please drink sensibly.